Let's bow our heads and pray. Dearest Jesus, as we prayed earlier, we ask that we would be open to the word that you need us to hear today. I ask for your help uh, as I share your word this morning. We thank you uh, for the words of Paul long ago as he wrote to the church in Corinth, that small group of Christians on an island in what we call Greece who needed to hear those words back then. Lord, we need to hear these words today. Thank you that you're risen and that you're at work, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, one of the most watched TED Talks in the history of TED Talks is by a guy named Simon Sinek, and in his book, Start With Why, he talks about a concept that he calls the golden circle. In the video, he says this, very few people can clearly articulate why they do what they do. By why, I mean your purpose, your core belief. Why did you get out of bed this morning. How about you? Do you know your why? If you think about why you got up and drove to church today, if you think about what you have to do tomorrow and the rest of this week, the thing that's coming up on your calendar this summer, do you know your why? To some degree, uh, we may be kind of vaguely aware of that. Some of us may have taken some time to clearly articulate that, to draw a line between what we do and why we do it. In the first place, how about you? Do you know your why? At the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul has been climbing a hill about the truth and the veracity and the reliability of the resurrection. We looked at that Easter Sunday, uh, all the people who were there that day, and, and this is what it means. This is the hope that he gives us. This is a picture of our future. We looked at that last week, and by the time we get to the end of chapter 15, we've reached the summit. We're familiar with the words. We hear them often at funerals. Paul's mocking death. He says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Those words may be familiar. But what may be less familiar are the words that Paul uses to close this great chapter, the pinnacle, the summit, how the resurrection of Jesus is connected to our why, to our purpose. Here's what he says, the last verse, 58, where he says, therefore, if all this is true, therefore, it matters. My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor, your work, what you do is not in vain. There's a why behind your what. You know your why. Paul says that to some degree, our why is connected. The source of that is the abounding work of the Lord, the resurrection of Jesus that makes a difference in the things that we do. And, and let's just, by he's, when he says in vain, he's not talking about it being a selfish thing. He's talking about being an empty thing. Your labor, your work is not in vain. And your work, your labor that he's talking about here, it's not uh, your paid profession. It's all the hats that you wear and all the holy callings that you have. Not just what you do, what you get paid to do, whether you're working or not, whether you're in between jobs, at home or at work, in every vocation of your life. Paul says, nothing that you do is without meaning or purpose. It all matters. So here's what we'll do over the next few minutes together. We're going to work in reverse. We're going to start at the end and talk about first the emptiness of our labor, because sometimes it is. 
And then second, we'll talk about the abundance of our labor, the goodness of our work. And then thirdly, we'll take a look at what this looks like in our life today in the present when we put it into practice. So the emptiness, the abundance, and then in practice. Let's start first with the emptiness of our labor, of our work. Now, I have a friend. His name is Nick. I've known him for 15 years. He was the best man in our wedding. And I've watched over the last decade or so as Nick has moved from career to career. He's running a gym. He's a personal trainer. He was working delivery for Target for a while. He lives in Minneapolis where Target is headquartered. And and he started a job a couple of years ago at a company that sells uh, payroll and HR services. He flew to Denver a couple of years ago, uh, interviewed to open an office that his company was beginning here in the tech center, didn't get that job, was passed over. It was very successful in his career in sales, kind of his, finally in his sweet spot, doing very well financially. And he was doing so well that when the opportunity came to open a third office uh, for his company in the Twin Cities area, he was chosen to do that. He started that job in January. I talked to him this week, and he said, Nate, I'm working way more for way less. And this job that I have now is way harder than I thought it was going to be. He there's a period of time where he was still working sales as he was in this manager position, then that went away, and all the sales is now behind him, and he said, you know, in June, I'm going to lose all of my commission because I'm not in a sales role anymore. The, the kickbacks that I was getting from the contracts I had sold, I'm going to lose a lot of income, and this is way worse than I thought it would be. Now, you're not Nick, you're you, but, but we all have the kind of days that feel empty. Where our lives are way harder, and, and not just our lives, but, but namely our work. That what we do requires more of us than we thought we'd have to give. You know, at home, changing another diaper, I just turned 41 uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'm still changing diapers. We have a four-year-old. I don't know when Jude's going to figure it out. You know, hopefully someday. <laughs> I mean, he's almost there, but you know, just the nighttime one. Just kind of done with that. You know, walking from the car door to the front door of the office, you know, that length of distance, thinking through, what do I got to do today? This meeting I've got coming up. This client I've got to work with. And we all have days at home and at work I feel like they require way more of us than we're willing or we're ready to give. Why is that the case? And the, the reason is at least twofold. The, the problem, uh, in part, is because there's something wrong with our work. That our relationship with work itself is broken. That in the garden, we were put, Adam and Eve were to, and given the responsibility to work the garden with their hands, to be workers, to care for God's creation. And work in itself is a, is a good thing, that you were made with the skills and talents that God has given you in the place where he has put you to put them to work, to serve the people that he's put in your life to just simply be who you are. But very quickly, what the scriptures tell us on the next page is that something broke down. 
entirely, that after Adam and Eve sinned, that our relationship with work was forever changed. Here's what it says in uh, Genesis chapter 3. God says to Adam and to Eve, because you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There's something broken and has been ever since in our relationship with our work. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised, uh, so surprised when our work lets us down. And our boss or our coworkers aren't the people who we need them to be. Adam and Eve, you see these words, uh, they experience part of the f- curse of the fall. It affects their work as well as their relationships with one another and their relationships with God. The thorns, uh, they've got to work by the sweat of their brow and they've got to leave the Garden of Eden. They've got to wander around and make a new home for themselves. Jacob, uh, the, the father of the Israelite people, he's called a wandering Aramean in the scriptures. So maybe it's not your boss's fault. You can let him off the hook. And maybe it's not your underperforming coworker's fault entirely. Because work is broken. There's something wrong with work, first of all, but there's something wrong with ourselves. That our work has a way of revealing our own idols. I was talking to my friend Nick, and I know him well enough that I could challenge him, and I said, you know, Nick, maybe part of the problem, and I didn't lead with this, but later in the conversation I said, maybe part of the problem isn't just your role, Maybe part of the problem is you. Because work has a way of revealing our idols, of showing us our need to be noticed and to be recognized, a way of showing us our need for control, seen by the resentment or the anger that we have when we don't have the kind of influence that we wish. If I, if I were in charge, this is what I would do. as a way of revealing our dependence on money, our need to make more. You know how you can tell by the way in which you are prone to cut corners and to make compromises, to do the wrong thing or to do less than you should. Our inner need for comfort when we do weigh less than what's asked of us. Part of the problem is not simply that work is broken. Part of the problem, too, is that we are. And work can't deliver the things that we ask of it because it's broken and it was never designed, it was never meant to do that. It can't give us the recognition that we long for or the control that we crave or the rest that we need that really no vacation can ever truly provide. There's another rest. There's another work, another kind of work that can fill us. So from the emptiness of our work, that's number one, to the abundance. Paul says, again, you remember what he said? 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, of always abounding in the work of the Lord. What does that sound like? I mean, it kind of sounds like another thing to do, doesn't it? I mean, is the secret to a fruitful, full life connected to our meaning and our purpose, doing more spiritual work, the work of the Lord, and getting more involved in church and coming to church more often? Is that the secret you know as well as I do? The rhetorical answer to the question is no. It's got to be something different than that. I mean, just simply sharing your faith more, being used by God more, I mean, certainly that can be meaningful, but it's not the path. What work, what abundant work can do, what abundant work of the Lord can do what our own work cannot? Someone says, well, maybe it's not in working more and doing more. That's another thing to do. Maybe it's in doing less. It's less work and more rest. Somebody else says, I'm so busy that sounds like another thing to do. Uh, to make time to slow down, to rest. I don't have time f- for that. I find it so fascinating, the, what we call uh, the, th- the third commandment, you know, honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy, that God has to give us a command a commandment to slow down and to rest because left to ourselves and our own devices uh, whether you're a doer or not you know to to some degree because work is broken and because we're broken we're all wired to find to some degree our worth and our meaning in what we do and God has to command us to stop doing and to start being to rest in him but when he's talking about rest when he's talking about the Sabbath he's not simply talking about taking a break or going to church on the Sabbath. To abound in the work of the Lord <clears throat> is to rest, but to rest in another kind of work altogether. To rest of the wor- in the work of the one who on the cross said it is finished. took a breath and breathed his last. The one who rested for you to give you rest in him. The one who came as a worker with his own hand, a carpenter the one who was a wanderer, who said about himself, foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The one who wore the thorns, the one who took the curse. The curse that you and I deserve for all of the selfish ways that we put our work first 
in front of the people in our life, all of the ways and the times that we found our worth and our meaning and our significance not in the work of Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the tomb, but have found that in our own broken attempts to be significant in our own doing, in our own work, in our own labor, paid or unpaid. Paul says about him, If I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast not about my strength, he says. I'm going to boast about the things that make me the weakest. Because Jesus had just said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect, not in strength, Jesus says. My power is made perfect in weakness. His grace is sufficient, and his strength is a surplus. Because the one who's risen from the tomb, who's given you his spirit, Paul says Ephesians chapter 1, the same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that's in you. His grace is sufficient and his strength is a surplus. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Did you hear that? He said, well, the, the Greek word abounding means to have a, a surplus. It means to have more than. It means to rest in and to play in, to splash in, like a kid who's playing in the tub and the water's overflowing onto the floor. To abound in, to splash and to rest in, to enjoy the work of the Lord, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for you because his grace is sufficient and his strength is a surplus that you can abound in forever. That, my friends, when you rest in his work for you, it'll make your work just work. And it won't be what you need to do to prove to yourself to live up to your own standards for you. And it won't be what you need to do to live up to the standards of the people around you, real or imagined. It won't be what you need to live up to God's standards for you. Because he worked. He lived the life you should have lived. He died the death he should have died. And he rested in the grave for you. How? Practically. Can you abound in his work? How can your life today have meaning and purpose if it's somehow connected to the work, the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Well, here's where we'll close and camp out for just a couple of minutes before we wrap up. What does this look like in practice? Well, imagine that you're standing next to a stream. This is the Platte River here in the good state of Colorado. It flows upstream to downstream, right? You look one direction, you can see the current upstream. Look the other direction, you can see the current downstream, upstream, and downstream, upstream. Let's talk about God's work, his gifts to you. Downstream, his work, his gifts through you. Let's start with the first. This is Rick. This is our picture I took with him this morning. And the reason why your bathrooms in this, this building are clean is because of this man. He's our facilities manager uh, the reason why the sidewalks are clear when you come to this campus when it snows is because rick shovels sidewalks for you think about this you know we've at least if we own our home and we got to shovel your own driveway your own sidewalk you know rick and then he comes here on snowy days and then he does it not just at his house but he does it at his work for you blows my mind I don't like shoveling my driveway. Do you like shoveling yours? He does it with a smile on his face. Here's what Martin Luther says about our work 
because our, our, our culture has a way <clears throat> of elevating certain kinds of jobs with certain kinds of exposure or status or influence or income. Luther says it all matters. The doctrine of vocation says the mother who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. I'm going to remember that when I'm uh, <laughs> mopping floors for my wife today on Mother's Day. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. If you're an airplane pilot, uh, what is a way to glorify God? You land the plane. You do it well. You do your job well. I have another friend uh, who gave me permission to share this with you. He uh, left a job after his company was bought out and started uh, a period of unemployment, was looking for a new job in a similar field, and took a job. And the day that he started, uh, he was making less money than uh, he was making when he started the, or when he left the other job. Uh, not only that, but uh, when he left his other job, he had 60-some people who were reporting to him. Uh, in the new job, uh, he was doing the work that people used to do who were once reporting to him. He said, I find it way more fulfilling, even though I'm making less, and I have less influence, and far less control than I ever... I said, well, why is that? And he said, you know, I realized that it was not about what I was doing and who I was serving so much as it was doing good work. I was able to say, just simply doing a good job has made the difference for me. He, can say, he said, I remember the, the, the place where I was standing and the ramp that I was uh, going up to pick up my kids from daycare. I can remember the color of the concrete when it hit me. Somewhere, there's somebody upstream your mom, your dad, who God has been using to give, give his gifts and do his work to serve you. There's always somebody upstream that's put you in the place to be where you are today. God's gifts, his work for you. I want to say this too before I move on. Sometimes as a church, in churches, we have a way of elevating spiritual work. Saying, well, you know, sermons, and kids' messages, and Sunday school, and leading a Bible study, and leading a missional community, you know, that's really God's work. If you notice that it says, uh, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, what it doesn't say is your labor in the Lord. It says all of your labor, because it's all in the Lord. It doesn't say that the, your labor in the Lord, that the spiritual work is what matters more. It says all of it matters, and none of it's in vain. It means it's spiritual and secular. It's all holy. It's all God upstream giving his gifts to you. Let's turn the other direction and look downstream. Part of the problem I think we have when our search for purpose was with all the hats that we wear. We get busy, 
we don't slow down, or the circumstances in our life change, and our why that we started with a few years ago starts to change, or sometimes we stop working professionally altogether, or our family changes, and our kids leave the house, and we're not necessarily mothers or fathers on a day-in, day-out basis the way that we used to be. You know, our circumstances change, and sometimes along the way, in our, the hats that we wear, we start to lose. It gets muddy, it gets murky downstream why we do what we do. I think the part of the reason we experience a lack of purpose in our life is that we haven't done the hard work to draw or to redraw the person who's downstream, who's benefiting from the hat that I'm wearing. You're a mother, you're a father, it's changed, you're still a mother or father. You never stop being a mom or your dad, no matter how old you get, right? If you've got adult children. The work that you do matters even when you can't ever meet your customers or your clients. You're still connected to them. They're downstream whether you can see them or see the fruit of your labor or not. Martin Luther was asked, if you knew tomorrow that Jesus would return, what would you do today? Here's what he may have said, and if he didn't, he should have. Do you know what i do, he said? I would plant a tree. Why? Because everything we do, whether we know clearly our why or not, everything that we do lasts. That it endures into God's new world because Jesus is risen. That every time you say, I'm sorry, or every time you say the words, I forgive you, Every time you hear a pastor say those words, every time you take Holy Communion, every time you open the scriptures, every time you do good work for your neighbor, everything we do, sacred and spiritual, in the kingdom of God, it flows into eternity. It lasts. It doesn't just simply go away. So plant a tree and land the plane and do good work because nothing you do is without purpose or meaning. It's never in vain. And sometimes it's hard, but this is the way of the cross, to pour ourselves out, even when we don't know why we're doing what we're doing clearly, and even when the results aren't what we wish that they were, and we don't get in return what we think we deserve. Isn't that the way of the cross, the one who gave all to you and to me, even though we didn't deserve it? Even though he'll never see the return on his labor and his effort his, through his death and his resurrection for you, but he did it for you because he loves you, my friends, this is the way of the cross. Because he's risen, because his grace is sufficient and his strength is a surplus. Sacred and spiritual, all you do today for those you love and those you serve doesn't go away. It goes on into God's new world forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.